Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. morning's scripture reading is from Isaiah chapter 49, first seven verses. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, He hid me away, and he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my life for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord, and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you so much for choosing to join us this morning. We value the gathering, and we are glad that you are here, and we trust that the Lord will use the text of Scripture and the gathering of his people to be an encouragement to you as an individual. In the 1950s through the 1967, there was a game show called What's My Line? The game uses celebrity panelists to question contestants in order to determine their occupation, their line of work. The majority of the contestants were from the general public. However, there was one weekly celebrity, the mystery guest, for which the panelists were blindfolded. In many ways, the four servant songs, Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53, are like, what's my line? We are, as congregants, blindfolded, and we get to ask questions only to find out that we are actually interviewing Jesus. So as we look at Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53, and ask the text, to whom does the prophet speak, we find out that we are interviewing Jesus himself. Jewish rabbi and apologist Toby Singer, he does not like the New Testament, he has no love for Jesus. He states that the broad consensus among Jewish scholars and even some Christian commentators is that the servant in Isaiah 52, 53 refers to the nation of Israel and is understandable. Isaiah 53, which is the fourth of the four renowned servant songs, 
is connected to its preceding chapters, 42, 49, 50, and then 52, 53. The servant in each of the three previous servant songs, which we see in our text, is plainly and repeatedly identified as the nation of Israel, so says Rabbi Tovi Singer. And the servant in all four servant songs are the faithful descendants of Abraham. Is the servant in our passage national Israel? You'll remember in Acts chapter 8, the eunuch asked the question, is the prophet referring to himself or to someone else? Or is there more to this mystery guest that we read of in Isaiah 49? Thus the question, who is this servant, is fitting to ask of our passage. But before going any further, let us open up with a word of prayer. Our Father, we come before you bowed. We are bowed by your majesty, and we are bowed by the weight of our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world in which we live. For many, the servant described in our passage is only the nation of Israel, or even perhaps the prophet. For others, this servant is a great moral teacher and an example. But for us, this servant is Jesus, who is both Lord of lords and King of kings. Our hope is in one who brings sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the dumb, and life to the dead. He is Lord and master over disease, over demons, and over death itself. He has conquered death, and in this he is our hope. You have assured us that in this world we shall have persecution, but we are to be of good cheer because Jesus himself has overcome this world. You have assured us that where you are, we will be, and for all who have experienced loss and absence through the passing of loved ones, may the hope of Jesus comfort and encourage them in this time. And for those who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, may they sense your rod and your staff comforting them. Today, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the glory of God through the prophet Isaiah. May these ancient writings speak present hope. Capture our straying thoughts and guide our minds in these moments. In Jesus' name alone, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. By way of review, let's think of Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42, the servant chosen by God shall be crushed, which is a common theme through all four songs. But through this crushing, he will open blind eyes. He will set the captive free and establish justice for the nations. We also noted how Isaiah 42 introduces ideas that each of the following three songs celebrate. And there is this intentional repetition that's found throughout the writings of Isaiah. As I was discussing this idea, one friend used the following example. If someone was separated from a loved one and wrote consistently, pretty soon all the letters would sound very similar as certain themes would keep repeating themselves and occur throughout the letters. And that's really what we have in Isaiah. We have these four servant songs, and there's similarity between all of them. And Isaiah 42 is giving us a larger picture of the following songs. But there's several similarities between Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49. Both are called by God. Both are unassuming. Both shall suffer persecution or suffering. We see that throughout the four songs. Both accomplish their work. Both mention the coastlands. And both are lights to the nations. And both have a message that goes to the ends of the earth. So you have this parallelism between 42 and 49, just as we will see how 50 
and 52-53 go together as well. The celebrated idea in Isaiah 42 is the bringing forth of justice to the nations, and the coastlands wait expectantly for that law. Here in Isaiah 49, the servant saves Israel, but in saving Israel, he saves the nations. We have that emphasis found both in Isaiah 42 and 49, but the servant is not only saving Israel, but through Israel saves the nations. Each of the four songs open for us more of who this servant is. There's a vagueness in 42 that keeps increasing until it's becoming very specific in 53. In Isaiah 49, the text that we had read this morning, the Lord assures his servant of their relationship and how all the nations shall be gathered to him. And I appreciate the reading this morning and the emphasis that was placed. The servant spoken of in 49 is for the nations. The servant, the true Israel, will complete what Israel, the nation, failed to do. He will bring salvation to the Jews first, and we see that repeated in the book of Acts. And then that salvation will extend to the Gentiles. God has not forsaken them. In verse 14, he will rescue, redeem, and deliver. But not just from physical enslavement, but spiritual enslavement. Now, by way of the four servant songs, Isaiah continues to accumulate different aspects of the servant. And notice just in passing these four ideas, and I've expanded on them in the manuscript which is available to you. In Isaiah 42, you have a spirit-filled king, and it's this spirit-filled king who establishes justice for the nations. As we will see in Isaiah 49, you have a divinely appointed prophet who springs the word of Yahweh to the nations. And then in chapter 50, you have an obedient disciple servant who obeys God, and through that obedience, brings salvation to the nations, and God vindicates him. And then finally, in chapters 52 and 53, you have this voluntary substitutionary sacrifice. You have a priest who's not only bringing an offering, but is the offering. And he suffers for the salvation of the nations. And we see that in these four servant songs. What is equally interesting is that it becomes apparent by the New Testament who this servant is. So if you only read them in the absence of the New Testament, you do indeed ask yourself the question of whom does the prophet speak? Does he speak of himself? Does he speak of someone else? Does he speak of the nation proper? But it becomes apparent by the New Testament who this servant is. But within the songs, there is a continued unfolding of the servant's identity. In its historical context, each servant song makes it increasingly apparent that it is not the nation of Israel being referenced. The Old Testament does not identify him to be Jesus, but by Isaiah 53, it is clear it is not the nation of Israel. The New Testament does, however, openly identify Jesus as the servant spoken of in Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and 53. In Acts chapter 8, you'll remember that the Ethiopian eunuch, as he travels, encounters Philip. Philip is then asked the question of whom does the prophet speak, of himself or someone else? And it says that Philip opens up his mouth and preaches to him Jesus. So we know by the time we get through the New Testament that the prophet is speaking of Jesus. But let's put this song in its context. In Isaiah 48, we have these words, Come near to me, listen to this, verse 16. From the first I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. 49 tells us who the me is in 48. But you'll remember that the prophet Isaiah speaks to a people who are experiencing exile. 
They've been displaced from everything they have known. God's people have been defeated, their temple destroyed. They are taken and changed to Babylon, alienated from their land and their God. This exile is a crisis of identity and faith. Is God faithful? Will God keep his promises to us? Are they still God's people? How can they worship in this foreign land? But it's into this crisis Isaiah speaks a word of hope in these chapters. He assures Israel that they shall be restored. They shall be redeemed. God will send a servant who will do justice, Isaiah 42. The disorientation of exile is replaced by a new orientation that is more than just returning to the ways things were before exile. God has something much more in mind. And that's what he speaks to the nation. So they are in exile. They hear the hope promised in Isaiah 49 that they will one day be returned to the land. But it's not simply about Israel. It is indeed about the nations. And Israel right now, this servant suffers. But one day, the very people who persecuted the servant shall be under the servant. There are three movements inside this chapter, inside this section. Our primary study this morning is simply verses 1 through 6, 1 through 7, and we'll be focusing on the identity of this servant. But we will see the servant's reward as well as the servant's assurance. But inside of this identity, there are three things stated that we will note. The first is his calling, then his commission, and finally his confidence. The servant is called by God. That becomes clear inside our text. Then he is told that he is a arrow, he's a sword that has not yet been removed from its scabbard or quiver. But one day he will come forth and he will do what he has been called to do. And then his confidence, what hope, what assurance does he have that all that has been promised will indeed come to pass? I find it interesting in verse 1 as we read it again. It says, listen to me, O coastlands. The coastlands refer to the surrounding nations. There's this expansiveness to the appeal. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Remember, there's parallelism, there's poetry inside the text. O coastlands, you peoples from afar. It's this global appeal. The Lord God called me. In 42, Yahweh speaks of the servant. In 49, the servant speaks for himself. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. The language is very clear and distinct. The servant being referenced is from God. Isaiah shouts this news from the rooftops. If the first verse were an online blog, it would be in all caps. He has a message not for Israel alone, but for the whole world, even you peoples far away. That is something we must always break out of. This idea that it's only about us when it's about them. It's a global message. And when it comes to the gospel to Jesus, he alone is worthy to be shouted from the mountaintops. Let us make his name known. In one of my news feeds, I, I recently read the Baltimore Ravens signed Lamar Jackson to a five-year, $260 million contract. Now, that's difficult for me to process, including a 72, $72 million, that's how difficult it is for me to process, signing bonus. 185 million of the 260 million is guaranteed and an average annual salary of 52 million 
In 2023, Jackson will earn a base salary of $7,500,000 and a signing bonus of $72,500,000. And I say, good for Lamar Jackson. And it seems absolutely absurd to me. With social media, we live in a world where everyone seems to be vying for attention. We all seem to want our 15 minutes of fame. The idea, however, is that fame itself is fleeting. You'll only have 15 minutes. No one lives a quiet life, and yet within all this noise, one name needs to rise above the empty clatter, and he alone is worthy of such attention, and one day all of it shall be his. Jesus Christ alone is Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and he's the name that needs to be known, and he's the name we share with the nations. The second thing we see inside this text is not only has he been named by God, his calling, but his commission. It says that he made my mouth like a sharp sword. Verse 2 reads, my, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. It's as if he has yet to be pulled from the scabbard. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. He has yet to be drawn from the quiver. And he said, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. If the first song speaks of him as a spirit-filled king, this song sings of his prophetic word. In Isaiah 49, 2, the servant will have a ministry of prophecy that is depicted in imagery that's similar to that which appears in Revelation. You would almost believe that the New Testament was read by people who knew the Old Testament. The Lord has a sharp sword coming from his mouth. There is this tone inside of verse 2 assigned to the servant of authority, of achievement, of actuality in his words. What he speaks, he does. And we have seen that already in our study of Isaiah 45 through 48. The word of the Lord shall stand, it shall endure. And like a sword in its scabbard or shaft in the quiver, Messiah before his appearing was hid with or by God, ready to be drawn forth at the moment God saw fit. In the fullness of time. It's a polished shaft. as piercing without impediment. It is hid in the quiver. Reserved in the drama of the world's history. In each crisis of the servant's life. Till the hour was come. The appointed fullness of time. The day has come and shall come. When the separating gaze of God. Shall place the sheep on one side. And the goats on the other. Throughout Isaiah's writings, you have this tension of the Messiah coming. And when he comes, not only will it be a day of favor, but the great day of vengeance. The Jews fully expected in the reading of the Old Testament text, and rightly so, that when the Messiah came, he would defeat their enemies and restore them to a place of prominence. But it didn't happen, and that was confusing. But Jesus still assured them at his first coming that there was still a second coming, a day of vengeance. When the separating gaze of God shall place the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. Israel failed, but the servant who is identified as Israel will not. The language of this paragraph eclipses the dark language of Isaiah 48. When Jesus is unsheathed from his scabbard and pulled from God's quiver, the unbelieving world shall shudder and the believing world shall rejoice. A day is coming. But we see his commission. And then the third thing we see in verses 3 through 7 is the servant's confidence. Notice what this text tells us about this servant. It says, you are my servant Israel. And we think on a national level. And yet this Israel will save Israel. It becomes personalized. It becomes 
individualized, this servant in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. I have suffered. I have done what was required of me and I've seen nothing as a consequence. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb, referring again to verse 1, to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him. This servant outside of Israel will restore Israel, that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. And my God has become my strength. He says, and verse 6 is beautiful, it is, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. Bringing back Israel is a small thing compared to what I will do. And what I will do is that you will be a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. God's mission has always been global. It is only to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. But the servant's confidence, there are four things identified in this text. The first is that the servant shall glorify Yahweh. By means of this servant, the Lord shall be glorified. This language is very similar to Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. That, at the, that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and it will be to the glory of God the Father. Similar language occurs in the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. John 13, 32. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. All of these passages speak to the idea that through the servant, the Father will be glorified. And the New Testament testifies to the idea that through Jesus, the Father will be glorified. John chapter 17, verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. What Isaiah speaks of in our passage comes to pass in Jesus. Not only shall the servant glorify Yahweh, but the servant shall accomplish his work in verse 4. Again, in verse 4, we see this reoccurring theme of suffering, of persecution. It keeps reoccurring throughout the four servant songs. And although the servant does not see the outcome of his labor, we read this same idea in chapter 53, his justification or vindication shall come from God. The servant's obedience to Yahweh is right, and the servant's recompense and reward is with God. What Jesus sets out to do, he does. The servant shall accomplish his work. Notice verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. The servant not only shall glorify Yahweh and accomplish his work, but the servant himself shall be honored. Verse 5 states the servant's reward, a regathered Israel. Although the servant is called Israel in verse 3, and this is one of the perplexities of these songs, the servant is the salvation of Israel and of the nations. So whomever this Israel is, saves Israel. In the New Testament, Jesus is identified as the new Israel, who does for the nation what she could not do for herself. The New Testament authors understood Jesus to be the culmination of the Old Testament. 
He is the last Adam, the true Israel, the suffering servant, the son of David, the faithful remnant, the ultimate prophet, the reigning king, and the final priest. This is Jesus. We have often made the statement that we do not read our Old Testament correctly and accurately until we have read it through the lens of the New Testament. The fourth thing we see concerning this servant and the confidence that he is to have is that the servant himself shall bring light to and rule over the nations. What an incredible thought. The justice he seeks and the reward he receives are from the Lord. The Lord will do this for him. He is the one who shall restore Israel. But Israel isn't the end game. Israel is only initial, the first. The end game is the nations. Listen to how the text reads. Israel might be gathered to him, verse 5, and then it says, is is it, in verse 6, too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? That's where we begin, but it's not where we end. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Not only is the servant God's means of regathering the tribes of Jacob, but also becoming a light for the nations, thus causing Yahweh's salvation to reach the end of the earth. I love that we pray for the persecuted church. It opens our eyes up to the fact that the church is a global church. We have brothers and sisters everywhere in the world, and many of them are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Notice how verse 6 says, The saving of Israel is a small or light thing. The bigger, more weightier thing is the saving of the nations. Israel's redemption leads to the redemption of the nations. The Lord shall raise up and restore his people so that the nations would hear the gospel. This is absolutely staggering. Through the servant, the gospel shall go global. I think as a Christian, we fail to grasp the inclusive nature of the church. I was given the World Magazine this past week and I read the following statement and I I had interesting emotions or thoughts concerning it. On April 13th, Minneapolis became the first major U.S. city to approve outdoor broadcasts of the Muslim call to prayer five times a day, year-round. All 13 members of the city council are Democrats and three are Muslims. They voted unanimously to change the noise ordinance to allow the unrestricted loudspeaker announcements, or adhan. Major Jacob Frey signed the measure April 17th. The city's 40 mosques can now broadcast the adhan at pre-dawn, afternoon, late afternoon, post-sunset, and nighttime. Prior to the vote, the city allowed no pre-dawn or nighttime announcements. Now, those could sound as early as 3.30 a.m. and as late as 11 p.m. No organized efforts opposed the decision. And at a recent city hall meeting, Christians and Jewish leaders voiced support. A local imam said Minneapolis is now a city for all religions. He also said that the Adhan's Allah Akbar message goes beyond the specific beliefs of Islam. Uh, I don't know if you have ever read that call to worship, but it's not neutral. Not at all. That'd be like if in Waukesha County we now had churches broadcasting five times a day the Lord's Prayer or the Ten Commandments. I wonder how well that would set with the people of Waukesha County. Now, on one hand, I find this disturbing because it is not what I've known. It's not the world that I grew up in. It seems more like Egypt than Waukesha or Minneapolis. And whatever the American experience was, I thought I knew has drastically changed. 
And yet on the other hand, all of this, along with our open southern border, is bringing the world to us. The gospel church must press the planting of churches in all of these areas. What is our problem? What is my problem? Our problem appears to be the confusion of political nationalism with Christian globalism as a viable synergism. Yet such confusion weakens the mission and misdirects the church. The church exists to bring Christ to the nations. What is God now doing? Bringing the nations to the church. Anytime the church and state unite, the state takes over. In any union between the two, the state corrupts the church. The church does not purify the state. And you and I must keep our mission intact. His vision and his mission is our vision and our mission. Wendy Key works at WCTC. She teaches English to those who do not speak English. She invited our church to be volunteer helpers. This opportunity is an indirect way to speak the gospel to non-English speaking individuals. It is one thing for us to get our feathers ruffled at all of the foreigners and non-English speaking residents invading our land. And it is another thing to see the significant influx of gospel opportunity laid at our own doorstep. We do not have to change culture or language to reach the world because the world has now come to us. What will we do with this? The gospel has always been about the nations. And now they are here at our doorstep. We have massive gospel opportunity before us. Those to whom he was a servant, in verse 7, shall one day be their king. The servant shall be highly exalted that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like Israel, sin is our problem. And like Israel, Jesus is our answer. God has named his name. For the New Testament believer, it is easy to see how the servant songs all point to Jesus. If you pick up the manuscript, you have the slide and you can see the statements made in 49 and how they are fulfilled and paralleled in the life of Christ. Israel's problem was ultimately sin. It was the reason for their exile and yet even after the exile, their sin remained. We know this when we read the post-exilic prophets like Ezra and Nehemiah. Great books, but they tell us that the heart of the nation had not changed even as a consequence of the exile. The physical deliverance from Babylon foreshadowed a greater deliverance to the work of the servant. And this servant is Jesus. Cyrus was called God's shepherd, but Jesus is the greater shepherd. Israel would be gathered to him as would the nations. He would bring true restoration, redemption, and salvation. All flesh would one day recognize him as Savior, Redeemer, the Mighty One of Israel. What do we do with this? God's Messiah, as found in the songs, shall suffer. But it is through his suffering the nations shall be saved. The cross has significance. It has purpose. And although we and they live in a world of tribulation, one day they and we will be gathered as the people of God in the garden of God and enjoy his presence. God has not forsaken them. He has not forsaken us. He cares for us. And like a nursing mother found in verse 15, and as one who has tattooed us onto his hands, he will not forget us. 
Although right now the nation was living in exile, as we do indeed, but God promises one day to bring us all again into the land. Jesus is not only the spirit-filled king, but also the divinely appointed prophet. And let us gladly bow down before this king. Let us gladly open our ears to this king. And every promise that's made to believing Israel finds fulfillment in Jesus. And as a result, we benefit from the overflow of his blessing to them and in him because it has been for the nations. And today it's our intent that we bow our knees and confess with our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's all to the glory of God, the Father. And one day so shall all of creation, all of creation, shall one day see the servant king, one day see the prophet from God, and they will confess with their mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords and King of kings. And we get to do that right now. Please stand with me as we close in prayer. Father, this morning it has been good to be in your house with your people singing your songs and hearing and reading your words. Father, we celebrate the life we have in Christ. Cement now your truth into our hearts. Father, this morning we get to celebrate the Lord's table. We recognize that these symbols speak to something deeper, a substance that's found only in Christ. As we partake of this bread, may we remember the body that was broken. As we sup of this cup, may we remember the blood that was shed. The servant songs that we study today, last week, and in the coming weeks all speak of this suffering. But through the suffering, Jesus becomes a light to the nations. His message is proclaimed. And through his suffering, Father, the people are redeemed. So, Father, as we partake of these elements, remind us of the deeper truth they speak to, the gospel. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.